Kia ora, my name is Mark Easterbrook and you're listening to Going West Audio. For your enjoyment, education and inspiration, we've opened up our archives, queued up the tapes and unearthed the best oratory, discussion and performance from 25 years of the Going West Writers' Festival. In this episode, the opening address from our second ever festival in 1997, delivered by Morris Shadbolt, a master storyteller and long-time Tatarangi resident, Shadbolt traces the path he followed bringing New Zealand history to life in his work, especially his celebrated novel, Season of the Jew, about the Māori leader Te Kuti. I've often toyed with this thought, that if I were to stick a pin in a randomly chosen page, in any New Zealand telephone directory and come up with a name, I might, if the subject were willing, and there were a few artefacts and documents to hand, come up with New Zealand's whole story. More than that, given good luck and an ample supply of shoe leather, I might even, following that one name in the telephone directory, back into the past, come up with the story of the entire human race. Individuals we may be, but we carry the story of our species in our heads and our hearts. Insignificant as we may seem as individuals, we trail huge histories, vivid dramas. Exploring those dramas to see what might be found there, what motives, is what I've been up to for the last 16 years. The business of fiction, it seems to me, is to transmute the particular to the general, to journey from the small picture to the large. Especially is this true of the historical novelist whose business is to breathe life into the dead. As a recent autobiographer, I've been reflecting on the nature of fiction and autobiography. After trying to make sense of my own life, largely by way of my ancestors, I now see that the reverse is also true. Where the novel moves boldly from the particular to the general, Biography and autobiography move stealthily from the general to the particular. Autobiography casts casts its net wide, catching up many people in its net, but finishes with one life. I hope very briefly to show you what I mean. Let me look at fiction first. Some of you will have read my novel, Season of the Jew, a novel which ostensibly deals with Tikoti's war with colonists in the 1860s, a large subject then, and a fairly fat book, as tales of human conflict usually are. And with a cast of at least a couple of thousand and a half dozen roaring battles, But this novel began small. It could not have begun smaller. It began, in fact, with one obscure life, one forgotten human being. 
It began with a patch of waste ground at the back door of the Wellington Cottage where I lived for three years in the 1950s. That cottage sat hard up against a fragment of wall which was all that remained of the old terrace prison. Soon after moving into the cottage, I became aware that the patch of waste ground had a history. It was where those executed in the prison yard had afterwards been buried. Another year or two on, and I learned from a note in the Wellington newspaper that among those interred in that patch of waste ground was a young Maori named Hamiora Perry. He'd been hung, of all things, for high treason. High treason, I asked myself. High treason. So far as I know, he's the, he was, was and is still the only person to have been hung for high treason in New Zealand. There had to be a story there, I told myself. But it meant an historical novel, something I didn't feel qualified to undertake in the 1950s. I didn't pursue the thought further. In 1981, more than 20 years later, I went down to Wellington to pick up the New Zealand Book Award for my novel, The Lovelock Version. That novel was my first and sometimes frivolous excursion into New Zealand's distinctive past. It suggested I could handle the 19th century after all. I was staying with the late Father Frank Mackay, just around the corner from the Turnbull Library. The morning after the award ceremony, Frank asked me what I was going to do by way of celebration that day. Chase a dead Maori boy, I said, bewildering poor Frank. That doesn't like, sound like celebration to me, he said. I explained that I was looking for my next novel. I had no notion that the hunt for Hamiora Perry, casually begun that wintry Wellington morning, was going to take five years out of my life. Colonial newspapers gave me the grisly facts of his trial and execution, but neither his name nor his end at a hangman's hand rated a mention in formal histories of New Zealand. I was all on my own. There was then no historian to help me out, nor was there any help from oral history. I went up to Poverty Bay, where Hamiora Perry had begun his march to the gallows, and found none of his people, none of his tribe, remembered him at all. Mystification was general when I came up with his name. He no longer existed outside a few old and brittle sheets of newspaper. But I persisted. I saw the book I wanted to write as neat, tight and dramatic, and concerned largely with his trial and execution on the ludicrous charge of high treason. It appeared that he had indeed fought alongside Tikoti's warriors, that he might, in a very minor way, have been party to the Poverty Bay Massacre, or Poverty Bay Incident, as now some call it. More to the point, however, he had, like many young Māori, been conscripted 
unwillingly into Tikoti's lethal band. He was, in short, the classic innocent of war. And he was tried and hung because someone had to be, because Tikoti and his lieutenants had the good sense not to make themselves available, because he was the only one around and someone, anyone, had to be hung. To account for Hamiora Perry on that scaffold, I had to account for what and who had put him there. I had to account, for example, for the Poverty Bay Massacre. Then I found that to account for the Poverty Bay Massacre, I had to account for the battles and skirmishes which preceded the massacre. Indeed, I had to account for the Waikato War five years early, earlier, a story in itself. I had to account for Tikoti, to account for the militiamen who hunted him down, to account for his Maori allies and enemies, to account for the religious conviction with which he had inspired his people. I had to account for his embracing the Old Testament rather than the New and what that meant. All this then swung on one little life, the life of Hamiura Perry, whose bones had never been rattled in a century or more since his death. In the century when he was interred in my Wellington backyard. There's more to it. As I researched and wrote, the story, not through design on my part, became more and more contemporary, with ringleted rasters to the right, urban activists to the left. I seem to be writing a cautionary tale, a parable for present-day New Zealand. Recent events have underlined it. So that was how Season of the Jew came into being. It began with one life, just one, which lit my way into New Zealand's past, one life which seeded something unexpectedly large. Those of you familiar with the novel may recall that the trial and execution of Hamiora Perry occupies something than a, less than a tenth of the book. It was something less and something more than the novel I set out to write. The tragic tale of an individual became a portrait of colonial New Zealand and with characters I'd never foreseen. Nor, when Season of the Jew was published, was that the end of my excursion into the 19th century. Hamiora Perry led to Tikoti, Tikoti led to Titikawaru and his Yankee associate Kimball Bent in the Taranaki War. Titikawaru and Kimball Bent led me even further back into history to the Napui chiefs Honiheke and Kawiti and the battle for the Bay of Islands in 1845. One life led to another. Each life led to a large picture, a very large picture, a trilogy of more than a thousand pages. Thanks to my one-time Wellington neighbour, Hamiura Perry, I continue to mine New Zealand's past. So much for fiction, then, in verse, form or prose, which has been making our human existence luminous since the bards of Greece first sang the Iliad. Now for non-fiction. Several years ago, I began thinking about a memoir of using up much of the material and many of the anecdotes which resided in the bottom drawer of my desk and seemed unlikely to find their way into fiction. The problem was winning a continuous narrative from this material. There was another problem, a personal one. 
Most New Zealand autobiographies seem to be curdled gossip, telling us more than we might wish to know about the author's sedentary life, certainly too, far too much about dead and gone literary feuds, and all too little about the author's times. My 60th birthday was approaching. If ever I was to write that memoir to account for my times, it was now. While still contemplating this, something entirely fortuitous pointed me into the right direction. At a family funeral early in 1989, I learned that my great-grandfather, Benjamin Shadbolt, a bearded and top-hatted and entirely respectable and prosperous Canterbury squire, was not all he seems, not the paragon that family legend had him to be. He was, in fact, a convicted and transported felon, one of the 160,000 convicts which Britain dumped in the Australian colonies in the 18th and 19th century. My luckless ancestor, an English rural labourer and an unsuccessful thief, had survived the whips and chains of Norfolk Island, the floggings and solitary cells of Van Diemen's Land. I'd always known there was something eccentric about my family, the crankiness I explored in my first novel, Among the Cinders, and more especially in the comic saga called The Lovelock Version. Now I knew what was behind that crankiness. Research told me more. In the process, I discovered that my great-grandfather was no isolated case. His story, so I thought, could stand for the unremembered thousands, hundreds, perhaps thousands, of men and women who fled the horrors of convict Australia for New Zealand's more serene shores in the 19th century. They don't exist in histories of New Zealand. They have never been acknowledged or numbered amongst our founding fathers. Their story has been lost, much as that of the, as much of that as the Maori has. Many of these migrants were as industrious and successful as my ancestor. I had, in fact, stumbled on one of this country's best-known secrets. I now had a lead into my memoir or autobiography, if you like the book I would later name one of Ben's. A navigator and strange seas, I began mapping my great-grandfather's life, then the lives of his children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren. In the process, I managed, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, to get a good deal said about New Zealand and its history. The cast was huge, the drama great, and that is why, dear readers, I don't get born until a page 100 of this 300-page book. I had to get all those early lives out of the way before I found my own life. My, my life made no sense without theirs. It was certainly impoverished without theirs. So what have I established? Perhaps just this. In the fiction called Season of the Jew, I began with one life, Hamiora Perry's, and finished with many. In the non-fictional one of Ben's, I began with many lives and finished with mine. Celebrating forgotten lives, making them visible, remains my business in either form. It is the business of every writer. There is not a day of my life when I don't reflect on my great good fortune. 
for the characters who people my narratives, such as Hamiora Perry and Benjamin Shadbolt, are more than just characters to me. They are, all of them, the lives of my life and my lifelong companions. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Going West Audio. You can subscribe to the podcast and our regular updates at goingwestfest.co.nz.